we're trying to deal with this uh, really tragic um, story out of uh, downtown Erie, um, and basically the west side, as uh, uh, five children died um, due to fire at an all-night, uh, 24-hour daycare. And uh, Michaela uh, Leishi uh, was on the scene uh, just about an hour or two ago uh, just to kind of uh, be able to chat with a couple folks. Uh, Michaela, you talked to the the woman who called in the, um, mm, yeah, the, in the, the, fire. The, the fire. Can you tell, tell me about her? Um, yeah. Her name is Danica Scott, and um, she lives directly next door. Um, I'm actually kind of surprised that her house didn't have any kind of fire damage. You didn't see any mel- no, melting? No, and, okay. and she didn't elaborate on having any damage in her right. house either. It just, because the houses are so close right. on West mm-hmm. 11th Street. Um, but I, I spoke to her, and, and she just, I mean, she is doing incredibly well given the circumstances. Like She's just doing, I think maybe what the, the best thing you could do in the circumstances as the neighbor and as a friend of the family um, you know, she's just out there and she's talking and telling about fire prevention because she just, you know, nobody wants to see this happen again. Yeah. And so, um, you know, she talked to me for a little while and um, uh, just said, like, the need for more fire safety in your house, um, even taking the the small um, small steps of like setting up a fire out going over that with your kids, you mm-hmm. know, once or twice a month so they know because these kids right. were relatively very young. Sure. So um, for any of them to know what to do in a fire, like they would have to be trained or, you know, have someone help them. Yeah, generally there's there's fire drills. Let's let's hear what she had to say, mm-hmm. uh, what she told you, Michaela. Okay. And then you're the next door neighbor? Yes, I live right next door to them. Okay, so just tell me a little bit about what happened last night. Uh, what action you took? Um, it was about 1.10 in the morning. I was sitting on my couch which is right by the window, um, reading an article. And all of a sudden I saw an orange glow coming from the side window. I immediately grabbed my phone, started to run outside. I reached the top of my top door because I'm upstairs. That's when I started hearing Trevon screaming. And it was piercing screams. As soon as I ran out, the owner of the daycare in the house, Elaine, she ran out too. But she she had no clue what was going on. She was sleeping. From what I heard, she was sleeping in the living room where the fire had started. She ran out through the flames. She didn't even know that she injured herself. She was just in complete shock. She had no clue. Um, I remember her screaming once, my babies, and then because the Trevon and Tori, the 12, 17 and 12-year-old, was stuck on the roof. They had come out of the window and came out into the roof, and we had to scream at them to jump off. And once they did that, the firefighters were pulling up. The firefighters showed up within two minutes, not even that. They were here very quick. Um, they found out that there were still five children trapped inside that couldn't get to um it was quiet there was no alarms there was no noise nothing it was just flames and then screaming and then everything just broke into complete chaos the hard part was when the firefighters started bringing out the little lifeless bodies they were laid in my front yard and the whole yard was crawling it's like there were so many people on them performing cpr they were trying so hard to bring them back a little bit after that, once they took the kids to the hospital, that's when I started noticing the firefighters. We were all hugging each other and praying. I asked an officer what happened, and they told me that the kids didn't make it. What it comes down to is there was no fire safety instilled. There was one smoke alarm, and there should be one in each and every room. Another thing is if you look in the rooms, the room on the right, you can actually still see the dresser and the clothes. It's because the bedroom door was shut, which gave them extra time for to try to get out compared to the room next to it where it's completely engulfed in black and that's what uh, that's the rule you're supposed to sleep with your door shut to try to get stop the smoke from coming in and stuff because some people just sleep so deep they don't realize it they just inhale the smoke and they sleep but everybody needs to run fire drills with their kids at least twice a month you see fire escape routes on the walls of schools and churches why not have them in your own home because if you have youngins under the age of five they don't know how to escape they need somebody to be there for them and it's a tragedy but everybody needs to learn from this everybody needs to watch out for fire safety everybody takes it for granted until something like this happens everybody should run fire drills escape routes smoke alarms fire extinguishers all throughout the house with my house 
I have two ways oh, two ways in and out. I have my front steps and my back steps. Unfortunately, they only had one set of steps and one back door. They were it wasn't they weren't able to escape like that. The the fire rose within seconds. It just when the firefighters arrived, it had just completely engulfed the first floor. I wasn't allowed back in my house until probably around 6 a.m. And I my bedroom's toward the back, so when I looked out the window, I saw that the back of their house, both, both stories, were just completely torched with black soot. It is, it's the worst thing that no, no parent should ever have to go through this. Nobody should have to go through this. But this block has come together, and we're trying to help everybody as we can. Today I'm going to try to go through some old clothes and take them down to Trevon and the family and see if they need any of that. And I talk to him, I talk to him every couple hours, check on him and how Elaine's doing. Elaine's awake, but she is unable to speak. And we did know that one of the children, one of the young children, I believe was Elaine's grandchild. So it's, it's hard. The two older siblings said they're okay. They yes. Okay. Uh, Trevon hurt his leg a little bit, and his brother, Tori, he was covered in soot. The first thing out of his mouth when he jumped from the roof was, where's my mom going to live? That was very difficult. I just got chills. It was it was very difficult. I mean, I, so many neighbors came out, but the looks on their faces were just... It was it was unimaginable. So I'm going to see a counselor um, today at 2.30 to go talk to them about it and stuff like that, because I can't sleep. I can't. My muscle's tight. I can't sleep, can't eat, so I'm just... But right now, I just I knew I had to get out and get people to just be aware of fire safety right now. That's the only thing we can try to pull from this right now. Thank you. You're very welcome. Again, that was the next door neighbor. Yeah, that was um, the next door neighbor, and yeah. uh, like I said earlier, given the circumstances, she was just being. I mean, she was handing out water to like first mm-hmm. responders and, and media, and just you know trying to. I think she was just trying to do maybe what any of us would try to do you know in in sight of a tragedy you know your mind either either break down or you try to figure out what the best thing is you can do right now and i think she was just trying to you know get the word out about fire prevention and what what good can we take from this to make sure it doesn't happen again i think people need to understand too that um um, that Mrs. Harris, uh, you know, she had her own kids living there, mm-hmm. and those were the teenagers that were able to to get out and onto the roof, and so she was watching the little ones, and and um, and so, uh, um, you know, there there was a lot of people. There were eight mm-hmm. people in in the house, and uh, the, it was just the whole thing that the little ones were not able to escape and were not able to be rescued or revived by the firefighters. Just a, just a tragic, horrible scene. Thank you, Michaela. Uh, stick around. We're, we're going through the issue here of, uh, um, of, of where we're at with this fire. What, what, what is the latest, uh, again, uh, relying heavily on our, um, on our news partner here, Erie News Now, as we, uh, I, ju- I just got off the phone again with DHS, and they're they're preparing a statement that's just not ready just yet uh, as to, um, you know, what 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 are the minimums when it comes to daycare fire safety, you know, um, and so, uh, but uh, we have we have gotten uh, a multiple. Uh, you know, public statements from uh, different corners, including uh, Senator Dan Laughlin. And the headline here is Laughlin calls for state probe of license approval for daycare facility involved in um, fatal fire. So uh, uh, Senator Laughlin's already um, questioning how uh, how a uh, how a daycare with one um, one smoke detector that was non-functional can get approved for a renewal of a license. Citing reports of missing smoke detectors, State Senator Dan Laughlin today called for an immediate investigation into the deaths of five children at Harris Family Daycare Center over the weekend. Five children ranging in ages of nine months to eight years died in the blaze, which fire officials said began on the first floor of the building. Authorities said they found only one smoke detector in the daycare's attic. Uh, state law requires smoke detectors throughout the building. Reports also suggested an overloaded extension cord was found behind a couch 
on the first floor. Records from the Department of Human Services say this facility was inspected on December 28th. We need to know how and why Harris Family Daycare was approved for a license renewal given the conditions cited by authorities here in Erie, Laughlin said. Harris Family Daycare, located at 1248 West 11th Street in Erie, was the subject of annual inspections on December 28, 2018. Inspectors noted five deficiencies, including the presence of cigarette butts and ash in part of the home and exposed electrical outlets. All those deficiencies were listed as remedied, and the facility's license was renewed. None of the inspections noticed uh, noted an absence of smoke detectors under state law. Daycares are subject to state building code regulations enforced by the Department of Labor and Industry. Quote, I'm calling on the secretaries of Human Services and Labor and Industry to open an immediate and open inquiry into how a facility entrusted with the lives of small children failed to meet the most rudimentary standards of safety. End quote, Laughlin said. So that's, uh, again, Senator Dan Laughlin with his uh, with his release this morning. Um we have uh, uh, Michaela Lacey. She was on the scene this afternoon uh, at uh, on West 11th Street. She talked to uh, you, you talked to the mother of the four children's best friend. Yeah. 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 Um, yes. Um, the mother, uh, her best friend, her name, uh, Brianna Payne, um, was there and also was um, the daycare owners, Elaine um, Harris. Harris, her her niece was there too okay. uh, and um obviously uh talking to them lots of emotions they have um you know still processing what had happened and why it happened and just the pain in the like my heart goes out to these these women because sure. they were visibly just torn apart about this but um Brianna was kind enough to talk to me and kind of just you know let us know uh, how good of a mother um, their mom was and, and how good the daycare, um, you know, the intentions were of having the daycare and taking care of the kids. And right. um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of parents that work yeah. third shift. Yeah. And, and need this service. Let's take a listen to this interview. I just want to say that Shavonna was a great mother. She cherished her kids. That's who she lived for. It was her motivation to get up and and do things different every day. And she was looking at houses. They were about to move. And it was her babies. And Luther, them his babies. And like I said, you fight fires every day and lose your babies to a fire. And Shavonna, Luther, he has, you know, them his kids too. He has other kids that are still living but Shavana, my best friend my sister oh, she she lost all her babies and it's something that you can't replace or now you could do to make that fill that void and I just want her to know I love her and we're here for her all of them and her grandmother also I mean her mother the kids grandmother she was they rock too. Shavonna's mother. She, if they weren't at Miss Elaine's house, they were with Shavonna's mother. She cherished them kids. Yeah. It just hurt that someone that was so great of a mother didn't deserve this. And I know you shouldn't question God, but sometimes you just ask why. And that's, that's all I have to say. Okay, so that, uh, the, again, uh, that was the best friend of mm-hmm. the of the mother. Yeah, Brianna Payne uh, was her name, and I, I mean, as you can yeah. tell with the okay. interview, just just broken heart. And I think um, what's important to remember with this story, like the humanity aspect of like this is a mom who lost all of her kids, and and then again the um, the father was a volunteer firefighter for Lawrence Park Department, and he was out on another call and just. So there, there's just there's a lot of different aspects to this story, but like the most important thing to remember here is like it is a family hurting, and I like Senator Laughlin. I think it, it's good to look into this. We need to know that our daycares that 
that our Erie community parents are sending their children to have the right um, precautions and, and take those measures because that's that's important so this doesn't happen again. Um, but also in the face of this right now, you know, opening up that kind of investigation, you know, um, there's a family hurting and that's what's absolutely that's what's more important here. You know, taking care of them as community members. She, she mentioned uh, Luther Jones again uh, is is uh, the volunteer firefighter for the Lawrence Park volunteer fire department. We've reached out. We're, we're trying to reach, um, uh, uh, you know, the the LPFD um, because three of the five children who lost their lives in Sunday morning's fire at the daycare were uh, Luther Jones uh, kids. Uh, and again, uh, he was responding to another call in the city just blocks away with the Lawrence Park Fire Department. And, uh, you know, the L- LPFD were asked to assist in other calls while the Erie Fire Department battled the West 11th Street fire. So in order to help Jones and his family cover funeral costs, LPFD is setting up a bank account with Northwest uh, to collect do- donations. And again, we've received uh, the notice that uh, uh, any any uh, any Northwest branch, you can um, make a donation in uh, – uh, in you know, in support of the of Luther Jones and his family, and the Lawrence Park Fire uh, Volunteer Fire Department. So you just go to any Northwest uh, uh, branch in in the community, and they'll know what you're talking about. If you want to make a donation toward the funeral expenses for these children, um, uh, another uh, a, another you know community effort to support the families is coming uh, from. The Hammett Health Foundation, and again, you can find this uh, story on our on our website, uh, talkerie.com. Um, the uh, Hammett Health Foundation is directing their Erie Gives funds to fire victims, and uh, again, uh, and I'll read from the release. A city mourns this morning's headline in the Erie Times News said it says it all. A city mourns. Early Sunday morning, five children tragically lost their lives in a devastating house fire in the city of Erie. This hits home with the UPMC Hammett family as Shebby Overton, an amazing longtime employee, lost four grandchildren in the fire. And again, uh, uh, Michaela's uh, interview uh, with that woman indicated uh, Shebby, uh, you know, who Shebby was. Words will never express the sadness we all feel for the Overton family. And again, this is, again, the the Hammett release. First responders are also facing serious emotional trauma as a result of this event. UPMC Hammett emergency physicians and staff, along with law enforcement, firefighters, and paramedics, all took part in the heroic efforts. Tragedies like this are a stark reminder of the difficulty and challenges of their jobs. Now, last week, Hammett Health Foundation had planned to use the gifts from Erie Gives, which is tomorrow, to support our MOMI Biobank project. In light of this tragedy, we will now direct 100% of our contributions from Erie Gives Day to those impacted by this heartbreaking event, the families of the children who sadly lost their lives this weekend, and the first responders. Hammett Health Foundation has already committed the first $5,000 to this cause. So you can support this effort in two ways. You can donate by check today and tomorrow and drop it off at the Hammett Health Foundation office, making your check a payable to the Erie Community Foundation. Or you can donate online tomorrow between the hours of 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. at the eriegives.org website. For more information or questions, the number to call 814-877-7020. So that release, again, from the Hammett Health Foundation. Cheney, you've been... Uh, it's kind of taking this all in. Yeah. Um, what a I, I like I'm just I'm speechless. I, I don't really have anything to add to this. It, it's just completely horrifying. It's heartbreaking. And then to hear the, the best friend of that poor mom who lost all of her children in un- this fire. It, it's unimaginable. Yeah. Unimaginable. Um. We have one more release. We'll read read it to you um, from Erie's public schools. 
they said, again, Erie's public schools said some of the children who died in a fire at an Erie daycare attended at schools, according to a release from this morning. Um, we are all profoundly saddened to learn of the deaths of five children, including some who attend Erie's public schools in a tragic fire early Sunday morning. The entire EPS family sends our deepest condolences to their families and friends and stands ready to support all those affected. Counselors and other professionals who are trained to help meet the emotional needs of our students, staff, and parents will be available to anyone who may want or need assistance in the days ahead. Those who need support should call the district administration building or their school. Uh, we also want to thank the first responders who worked tired, tirelessly that day and uh, in, embodying their true selflessness. And so that's the, the message there from Erie's Public Schools. And we have on the phone line, we have Chief Joe Crotty from the Lawrence Park Volunteer Fire Department. Thank you for joining us today, Chief. Thank you. All righty, so uh, talk about Luther and his family. How long has he been involved with the with the force? Uh, Luther has been a member of our fire department about a year. Uh, altogether, though, Luther was involved uh, in a member of different volunteer fire departments in Erie County for about the past 14 years. And, uh, and this, this is just mind-boggling to know that he was out on a call while his children were perishing. Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, either way, yeah. he. Uh, the city obviously was tied up with all their resources uh, at that particular incident. And it was normal, you know, if you're tied up in, you know, in an incident and whatnot, they rely on mutual aid. It's a, you know, reciprocal agreement that we have. And uh, Likewise, if we're tied up, the, the city would come to us and provide mutual aid. In this instance, uh, all the units were tied up at that incident, and we were called for an engine to assist them to respond to an automatic fire alarm. Uh, the automatic fire alarm turned out to be a false alarm, but, yes, Luther was part of the crew that responded in the engine. How, how, are the, uh, how is the fire, the fire department coming around Luther in, in an emotional and a brotherhood way? And then we'll also talk about the financial way. Well, you know, as would be expected, it is a family, you know, that's whether it's career or volunteer. And, you know, we were right from the time of notification. We were, you know, certainly with Luther. You know, we kind of respected the fact that he needed some time to decompress. We made sure he was with family and whatnot. Uh, we checked in on him, and yesterday we took all our apparatus to his home and, you know, delivered meals and whatnot. We had a chance to have a little bit of a dialogue with Luther and his mother and his family and expressed our wishes in setting up some sort of benevolent account on his behalf. So let's talk about that. How, how can um, you know other firefighters and, of course, the general public help uh, for, uh, well, for these, these, these young ones? What we did, and again, you know, an incident like this, you know, and it, like I said, you, you, I guess you said it earlier, it's certainly beyond comprehension. So we took a very measured and organized approach to it because we obviously we knew a story of this magnitude and, you know, just the untold tragedy that, it, you know, it could spin out of control, so to speak. And, and that, too, includes even setting up, you know, a memorial fund. So we took a very, very measured, cautious approach, and we came to the decision to stay off any uh, the GoFundMe-type sources and whatnot. And we chose to, you know, rely on a, a financial institution that, you know, we rely on for, you know, our fiduciary accountability and finances. Uh, we went to a bank and our particular bank is Northwest Savings. So as soon as we could, which was this morning, we went down to the bank, and the folks were very facilitating and accommodating. They set up an account for us that was earmarked specifically for It's a complete separate account. And it was earmarked, and it was named the Lawrence Park Fire Department, or LPFD, Luther Jones Family Fund. And so, and the way it works. Yeah, how does it work, sir? 
the way it works, you know, I, I guess, you know, in this day and age through electronics, you can either call and or go in person to any branch of Northwest Savings and make a benevolent uh, donation. And this is intended for the funeral services and other needs of the family. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, one can only, I, I can't even imagine the cost that's going to be incurred, you know, the, the, the medical cost, which certainly were there, and obviously the untold cost of uh, the burial and funeral expenses and expenses going on. You know, our intent, you know, is to do our best to try and cover that. You know, we as a department are going to obviously be donating to that benevolent fund, and, you know, hopefully going forward, you know, it'll, it'll cover the cost of what Luther needs, and, you know, if there's any excess, you know, you know, college fund or other needs, sure. financial needs for that particular family. But it's, again, we chose we chose a bank because of a high level of accountability, you know, very, very tight control. Uh, Chief, and we're talking to Chief Joe Crotty of the Lawrence Park Fire Department. Chief, you know, first responders see a lot of awful things. But this this is, it, it, it does almost bring about a circuit breaker in your in your mind and emotions doesn't it yeah yeah it does and you know again i've been at it about 44 years and i certainly some of the different things i've seen over the years you know it, you know some responders hit a breaking point and, and the tough thing about it you know we talk about uh, post-traumatic stress and whatnot and some of these afflictions every firefighter and every responder copes with and is wired differently. Yeah, yeah. That's that's what makes it difficult. It isn't like, well, we had this type of call, so this is the the protocol. Uh, it, it, it you really have to keep a good eye on your brother and sister firefighters. Well, we appreciate what you do every day, and our hearts and our prayers are for. Uh, the brother and sisterhood of the Lawrence Park Fire Department as you surround uh, Luther Jones with your love and support. And again, uh, we can all uh, participate uh, through a gift to that benevolent fund available at any branch of Northwest Savings Bank. Is that correct? Just to mention Lawrence Park, they would know what we're talking about, right? Absolutely. Yeah, if you mention Lawrence Park and Luther, they'll know specifically what they're they're talking about. And again, uh, this, this is something that I guess the banks don't normally do, or I guess it was common practice, but they've kind of gotten away from it. So we certainly are appreciative of the, the folks at uh, Northwest Savings Bank. They once again prove why <laughs> why why we continue to be their customer because of you know them stepping to the plate and doing this for us. Well, we appreciate you taking the time and, again, getting back to me. And, again, uh, our hearts are, are, are with the rest of the community and certainly uh, with with your crew and with your team. Thank you so much, Chief Joe Crotty of the Lawrence Park Volunteer Fire Department. Thank you, Chief. Thank you. The Volunteer Fire Department Chief Joe Crotty uh, from Lawrence Park Volunteer Fire Department, they, are, uh, they have a fund to help with the funeral expenses of the children. Uh, you can just go to any Northwest Savings, I guess it's called Northwest Bank now, Northwest Bank branch, and ask for the Lawrence Park Fire Department Luther Jones Family Fund and make a donation towards the expenses. I have my friend Laban Marsh with us from Marsh & Marsh Real Estate. Laban, you're a broker, correct? Yes. So, again, uh, you deal with properties Left and right, uh, you own rental properties, right? We do. Uh, and, and and there's a whole protocol, especially with your rentals, right. that you have to, that you have to live by. I mean, again, it's B, BIU in in the city and in Mill Creek does their every other year inspections and things. Smoke detectors are like number one. Yeah, and that is for landlords or non-owner-occupied properties. And right. I think the the fire happened at a place where the owner may have resided, sure. so they're under right. It was an owner-occupied than, property. Right, than the but again, I you know when my smoke detectors I were starting to get old, I went to Home Depot. I got a f- pack of five, you know, with the ten-year battery. You know, and they you know they still flash, and I could test them. And I got the carbon monoxide. You know. It's just one of those kind of 
foundational things. Yeah, and we've always said when you turn the clocks back or ahead is a great time to do that. Um, and so uh, it, there's – I mean it's just absolutely tragic. Um, but there are processes for landlords and for tenants because in most leases it does state that, that the, the maintenance of those uh, smoke detectors are the responsibility of a tenant. Okay. So um, you know those are things where even for the rental registration uh, and those inspections – a lot of landlords like myself do rely on the tenants. You know, we've provided them. They've moved in with all of those as we do the, the walkthroughs. Um, and for some reason, if they beep and they're not happy, they take them down or take batteries out. Oh, um, I will say that any new electrical work done in the city does require hardwired. Um, so it's not the type that you just put up. You don't need a battery anymore. That's right. then. They're okay. hardwired into the electrical box. And gotcha. So there is new building codes, um, but for homes that – Nothing's been done. Um, there isn't necessarily anything that would uh, trigger somebody to, to inspect that or look at that. As a dad of four. Well, I, it's unimaginable. Um, it really is. And um, the heart goes out to all of the – not only family members but friends and the first responders. Um, yeah. It's just absolutely tragic. So I think if uh, if – People will go and, and check on those things and um, and be more vigilant. I think um, it, it'll go a long way. Yeah, I, I, you you would hope that you what we learn from this is just a, you, a, a much p- more peaked awareness of our fire safety in each individual home. Yeah, and I think a lot of landlords do get frustrated in the bureaucracy of whether it's the fee or the inspections and trying to get tenant cooperation for the showings and and, uh, minor things that were repaired or shouldn't be repaired or didn't uh, check out. But I think at the end of the day, it is done for the safety of the city um, and for the city residents. And so that's where – you try to cooperate as best as you can, and there's times where the scheduling doesn't work out. But when they go through, the the city inspectors have always been very good about uh, checking the things they need to check um, and making you comply with those things. And, and unfortunately, there's some investors that have taken their business out of the city for some of those same reasons. So, um, But again, I think it is a good time to pause, understand why some of those bureaucratic processes are in place, um, and for more landlords to care a little bit more um, about the tenants and their asset as mm-hmm. in regards to what the real estate serves. You also, you, you, you live in Summit, you deal with the volunteer fire departments. Um, you know, that's a really tough job. It is. Yeah, it really is. Um just going out day to day, and, and um, I think we all take that for granted. Um, a lot of those things, again, when you talk about even the rentals and city taxes and what do your taxes go towards, yeah. um, and even with state police and Summit Township, I mean, there's a lot of these things that uh, really do pertain to us as residents, and I don't know if we pay enough attention uh, to the issues. and. Um, are mindful, I think, as, as a board member on a couple of different boards, I think the idea is to serve for the uh, best interests of the communities. Uh, and I hope all board members of whatever institutions do that as opposed to personal gain or personal right. insight, that's whatever servant leadership. Right, I think that's it exactly. Um, and, and I think uh, when you live by the golden rule of doing unto others as you would have them do unto you, it um, the world could be a much better place. Uh, and then that empathy and understanding um, – Again, I go back to landlords who I know get grumpy about the process, mm. but understanding um, and if we could get some cooperation, and I think the city is a very desirable place to live, um, but the economics of it uh, from an investment standpoint and, and black and white numbers, um, I mean, it's it's become challenging. Well, okay, so it's interesting to hear you say that because um, the you have for the first time in – probably, what, 20, 30 years, significant private investment happening on a kind of on a large scale. The Pete Zanfrances of the world who are saying, hey, I'm going to start buying up you know, properties on 12th Street. Or, you know, uh, we had uh, Rick Griffith here who's always been kind of that consistent purchaser of commercial property and has done some residential. He bought, uh, you know, level place and so on. Um, as As someone who is more into the rentals and things. Um, do you see that uh, that there could be some upside in your investments in the city vis-a-vis 
you know, Mill Creek or Harbor Creek? Yeah, it seems there's almost only an upside. I mean, it's hard to think it could get worse almost, honestly. Yeah. Um, but I think there is a lot of optimism when you see – and we see that a lot. When there's a commercial investment, you know, like some of these larger corporations are making, the residential, it provides jobs. So people, whether they're tenants or homeowners, um, it does churn that, that real estate market, if you will. But I think that confidence um, is big for Erie. Now, I'd love to see Erie – start to become more of an encouraging eerie, right? I mean, it's like it all. we tend to kind of knock down the folks who are investing the money mm-hmm. um, and trying to do the right things. It, it does serve them a purpose for livelihood, but the majority of the time, the risk that it takes to make these investments uh, is far beyond what the general public understands and the amount of effort that goes into coordinating it from – from idea to start to finish. Yeah, I, I never understood why there would be any negative uh, backlash uh, from from private investment, especially into the urban core. Well, I think – I mean, it, you're not doing any sprawl there. There's already a, a, a built-in infrastructure. You have your sewer, water, electric blown. Yeah, and I think that starts to hedge on the line of gentrification and the – Part of the concern for local residents, um, but I think that is kind of the ebb and flow of the economy. Um, yeah. You know, if you if you want the city to improve, you have to see improvement on an independent basis. That you know, they say all rising boats will bring others up, and so uh, a rising tide, I should say. But I think again, the more you see your neighbor doing things to improve their property, mm-hmm. and when they pass Lerda, you saw a lot of those stories. And I think there needs to be some clarity on on. You know, those things, but it's encouraging to see people reinvesting in the community. And I think uh, I would love to see something happen within the city to encourage Erie County residents outside of the city limits um, to invest in the city, uh, some hmm. incentive. I don't know if you knock down uh, county taxes or, uh, you know, city taxes and pay the school taxes, but I would love to see more incentive to get county residents investing in the city of Erie. And there's a couple ways to look at this, Laban. Uh, you know, again, you've you've lived in, in Metro uh, New York. You lived in Connecticut, and and uh, you know, I lived in Tennessee and lived in Nashville, Metro Nashville, which is now like one of those it towns. You know, Char- you know, Charlotte's an it town. Um, you know, you don't even think about your investment in your home as not going up. In some of these places, it's going up double digits every year but even if you were able to get three four five percent uh increase on your investment has that been a part of the erie deal at all in the last 10 years so and i think it's a little different from the investment side than it is the well i guess just on, on on buying a house and knowing that you had uh an improvement in your house value yeah i i think that that's something that erie has lacked for quite some time is this appreciation and value of their home and what i had said for and i've said for quite some time unfortunately if especially for fixed cost individuals um they might not have a mortgage and a lot of times they don't uh yeah. and so their costs of taxes and things like that are continuously rising into where it's even pushing them out of their homes to a certain extent uh or they have to go back and take mortgages out just to cover some of these increased That's costs incredible. it is and it's it's um Part of it, certainly, uh, personal accountability and, and financial literacy, but the system itself right now and, and uh, politically, I mean, there needs to be something done in the state of Pennsylvania for property tax relief. Mm-hmm. Um, and so and I don't know that it's very likely um, with uh, SB, HB 76, they were trying to do that and comes with it, you know, the something else has to, to go up. So yeah, so, like, so if you eliminate property taxes, you have to have a sales tax or a, a, a VAT, a, right. you know, value-added tax or something like that, right? Yeah, and I think consumption-based tax can make sense. I mean, there's arguments, I suppose, for, for both sides. Um, but I think at the end of the day, when you're looking at property within the city of Erie limits, mm-hmm. um, you have the city school taxes rising, you have the city... Um, itself taxes, and then you have the county taxes, sure. which have been rising too. Yeah, so, so there, so there is this. There's this two level way, two levels of looking at it. The the number one is the entire metropolitan market is not uh, appreciating at all, and you have sprawl, and you have you know you have basically you know building out infrastructure and no population gain. Then you have the situation where individual municipalities 
either are more competitive or less competitive within this context of of a non-growth metro. Yeah, I mean, even comparing Summit Township to Mill Creek Township, right. Summit Township has very uh, little debt and quite a bit of revenue from its its different uh, the casino. Know, the casino for one waste management, you know, there's right. a, a top three or four uh, that you could go to. But for residents, it makes it very appealing because sure. what happens is buyers are typically thinking about their monthly payment. And that monthly payment includes principal interest, but then taxes and insurance. And so when they look at the difference between even Mill Creek or the city and Summit mm-hmm. Township, they're picking up fifteen hundred, two thousand dollars which they don't have to pay in Summit Township because the township has done such a good job of managing its money. And there's other factors, of course, but Mill Creek's taxes, township taxes, are much higher than Summit Township's. Um, and the cities are, are higher there as well. So Harbor Creek, all these different communities have their own millage rates and things, um, but Summit Township seems to be the most favorable um, and does have some room to grow and not sprawl, but where there's existing infrastructure uh, to kind of build out. And so, so what's because you're you're part of the we, we've talked to you as part of the the sewer board. So there is real sewer in the in the in the in the ground. In, in a certain part of Summit, right? And then there's also real city water in the ground, your waterworks? So the the yeah, water is through yeah. Summit, and there's certain rules as far as where the water comes from and where okay. it has to go back to. Oh, that's true, because you have the the, um, the continental divide, basins, right? You know, right, yes. The different basins. And that's yeah. way above my pay grade. Right, right, right. But, yeah, if um, you go out to, I can't remember what, well, it was the old meat plant. that I always oh, heard that that was the end of the line. Uh, south of the meat plant was uh, was the French Creek watershed. watershed north right. of, north of the which basically is the the Mississippi River when you think about it. North of it was the the, the Saint Lawrence and Lake Erie yeah. watershed. Um, all right, so so when people are when people are looking at homes, and, and again, this is this is kind of what the mayor is stacked up against when he says he wants to build a community of choice. Mm-hmm. Um, Something's got to give on the tax side. A great example that I have is looking at a, you know, I would love to move into the frontier neighborhood, mm-hmm. you know, which is pr- pretty expensive tax wise. A oh, very expensive, quite yeah. honestly. I mean, when especially you, when relative you, to the value of the homes. Yeah, the homes are like in the mid one hundreds, maybe the high one hundreds. And we, but you got five thousand dollars worth of tax. Yeah, and you've seen those values that may have been in the two twenties come down to one eighties because yes. again, a buyer looks at. Not only down payment, but the, what their monthly payment is going to be, and that monthly payment includes the property taxes. And so, um, now I would get ready for 2022's uh, reassessment. I would think they're going to do a countywide again. They did, yeah. started it in 02 after 30 some years, uh, 12, and, and now 22, which is where I thought it would be a good idea to get lured in place so that by 2022, you will have had some improved. Properties that will now increase in value um, via LERTA, which will maintain that that tax base for ten years for the individuals. But at least again, they're going to do a countywide assessment. Right. So once that tax is implemented and starting to be paid, it's going to be at a higher value because they've improved the property. And it, it deems a higher value. So what can what can Erie really do? I mean, I mean, I mean, LERTA obviously is a tool in the tool toolbox. Yeah, that's one, and I think you have the opportunity zones, and so the more we can layer um, these opportunities, quite honestly, and incentives um, for developers and and even for independent owners. I mean, there's places in the city where if you want to add a half bath or a full mm-hmm. bath to a you know one and a half story home that can increase the value of your home but it also can be done in a very tax beneficial way for that improvement to that investment during the lurdus right, right. period it's interesting I, you know we we went through an open house uh, you know my wife's looking for a ranch and you know went through open house uh, in 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 our preferred neighborhood and it looked like it hadn't been touched since 1955. Yeah, I mean, I mean, and and that goes right back to the idea of fixed income, elderly couple can't really do anything to their home. Yeah, and we see that unfortunately a lot. Um, the homes that tend to sit on the market uh, and saturate the market 
typically need that improvement. Um, and it's hard because some owners don't want to spend a lot of money before they put their home on the market, which is understandable. But then for buyers, the challenge is interest rates are so low, they want a home to be done. So they don't want to get a you know 3.75 interest rate and then have to go to lows at 22% you know yeah. for a $20,000 kitchen project. So that's where we try to tell sellers to be to go ahead ready and make and, the investment. Yeah, right? the, that deferred maintenance, windows, roofs. Um, mm-hmm. and and we've had people say, "Well, I just did a new roof." Well, you're not going to sell a home without a roof, right? <laughs> right. Same thing with the windows. Right. I had new windows, but yeah. the home needs windows. Um, and whoever chose pink uh, uh, porcelain fixtures in their bathrooms. That stuff is coming back. Oh, is it? it there are, I, yeah. I have a few properties myself in the city with some really cool retro tile and things. Okay. And it has been well-maintained. Um, it can be appealing, you know? Interesting. So, yeah, there's no bad colors, just bad color combinations. That's what we say. <laughs> I've got two minutes before the break. I want to ask you about rentals. Uh, it, uh, the Urban Land Institute came out with a study that said there's 750 right now. There's a demand for 750 more uh, rental uh, pr- um, units in the downtown district where the EDDC is building out. What's your take on rentals in the city? Yeah, rentals uh, for the last few years, and I think when people really caught the wave of real estate investment after the you know the big crash a decade ago um, – Real estate investment can be so nice because it can be leveraged. You can rent it out and, and find tenants and things like that. Um, but it, it's uh, it, it's not for everybody, that's for sure. You know what I mean? Um, and so I, I don't want to go off on a tangent too much. So bring me back to okay, what – Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we, we still got a minute. Go, okay. go. Well, yeah. again, I, I think in regards to the, the rental needs – so much of that, even for tenants, they want the HGTV type units, and so many of what uh, is available aren't updated. Yeah, our, our stock Same is thing. pretty pretty funky, isn't it? it? Well, and it's not it, it's not any in any one place. It's kind of all over, and a lot of independent owners that rent their homes do it independently with a yard yeah. sign or something. There's not really a, a single place to go like the real estate community on sales. Do you do you think that uh, you know some of the efforts by let's say our West Bayfront or the Bayside uh, uh, East the East Bayfront Task Force were there the, were there kind of like starting at the I know that our West Bayfront starting at the parks mm-hmm. and they're doing like the the outward from the parks where they're doing their retrofits is could that build some momentum uh, for some of these uh, at least these income properties yeah I, I think a lot of people want that smaller community feel even in the city walkable you know and you, yeah. you look at any of these comprehensive plans anymore and that's people want walking and biking and and the smaller community feel and the neighborhood feels uh the feel that you would get um especially when you had uh, a lot of those populations coming into erie the italians and and the polish and things like that so those communities i think um need to be kind of rebuilt. And again, I think the diversity that the city of Erie has is awesome. Yeah. Um, but I also, I don't think people realize how much opportunity they do have. Um, as frustrating as it sounds, there's home ownership that is to be had in the city of Erie by people who are renting. And uh, so again, I think that's where we need more home ownership in the city of Erie. Um, and then we also need these landlords to to get these places cleaned up and ready for people to rent. How, how is – are we having a buyer's market, a seller's market? How is the summer going in 2019 in Erie? Yeah, so when we talk about buyers and sellers markets, even in Erie County, uh, there's little – you know, niches to that. You have that summit market that we talked a little bit about. Mm-hmm. There's low inventory. Um, so and it high is demand. a sell- seller's market there. Well, it's a seller's market, except going back to our lack of appreciation and value. One of the things that tripped a lot of those values up was comparable sales and, and how the appraisal side of things um, has impeded us a little bit and, and some of those tighter regulations. Um, but for the most part, the market has, has really improved. Um, I know through the second quarter, uh, closed sales is up 5.7% from last year's wow. second quarter. I think it's 3.7% on the year to date overall. Okay. So that means closed sales uh, are up, which is certainly a good thing. Um, we never really get super hot, do we? Well, we haven't in 
it seems like a decade where there's really been. Well, you've been selling houses how long? 15 years. Okay. uh, Back here in Erie. And honestly, I think we've said for quite some time it's low inventory, low inventory. But I just looked and the months of inventory, which is how many homes tend to sell and a bit of a saturation rate. uh, But we're down 21%, meaning in 2018, we had four and a half months supply of real estate. And right now we have 3.6 months. So that means there's fewer options to choose from, even when for the last few years, we've been saying inventory is low. So inventory is actually even lower. Why do you think that is? I think a part people aren't real confident in what they're going to get for their home. Yeah. Um, we see so many people that are moving are moving because they need to, uh, downsizing or you know growing a family. Or it's a interesting because you, as, you, as you scan Zillow, for example, you see a lot of homes that are emptied, which I, I don't know if that's good or bad for, for the – you know, for the for the broker, for the, the the agent to sell an empty house, don't you like to usually stage it? You know, it really depends. I, I think uh, part of it is a, a buyer's personality. I'm somebody who can s- visualize, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. My wife is somebody that kind of needs to see it right in front of her. Mm-hmm. And so I've said to people, uh, if you want to stage a home with a certain size bed and, and things like that, but keep it simple. You know, right. you want to declutter, depersonalize are the two simplest things. Um, but I don't think a vacant home deters a buyer one way or the other. Uh, What we start to see this time of year is some of those vacant properties that are for sale will reach out to us for property management, where they don't want to go through the winter uh, vacant, and you know they'd rather have a warm body renting for you know six to nine months, and then get into the spring season again. But um, that's another. uh, When I I see that, that I always wonder: okay, is this was this a? a fast, I got to get out of town, I got a new job or whatever, or, you know, is, is, is there, I'm always wondering if there's distress or not involved. Yeah, it's not, no, it's not usually distress. I mean, we are a town that's very transient, whether sure. it's the hospitals, you know, mm-hmm. um, even with, with GE and now WabTech, I mean, those people were being promoted, moving out of town mm-hmm. and then, you know, getting some experience and, and possibly coming back. Um, but I think, you know, our days on market has gone from what was 72 days on the market to 81 days, so it's taking a little bit longer. So less Um, houses, longer. Boy, that tells me that this is a market in decline. Well, and I don't know that it's a market in decline because, again, I think that's the safety net that we have is that we've never seen the highs, and so we're not going to see the lows. Now, I will say what's disappointing for a lot of owners that they'll buy a home and five years later need to sell it, and they're not able to sell it a whole lot more f- than what they bought it for. And then especially if they're trying to include costs um, you know, for whether it's marketing fees or sure. whatever else. And so that's where um, – and a lot of times when the interest rate kept going down, kept going down, I think people sat on the fence. And so now that the rate was starting to creep up and then we just had a – you know, the Fed reduced it uh, minimally and then says they probably won't touch it again. I, You know, I think it will get – people off of the fence and going back to when you see a lot of that commercial development uh, and investment going in, the residential side usually follows because those commercial investments lead to more jobs and more Mm -hmm. stability in the residential side of things. And so, um, but we do, I would love to see more home ownership uh, because again, we have property management where we rent homes and there is a large demand for rentals. Um, a lot of times people don't necessarily want to make the, the investment of a down payment uh, and things if they don't know how long they'll be here, two to three years. Yeah. You know? And there's some formulas that people would give you as to how long it's – if you're going to be here three or more years, it's worth buying. Right. I will say that in comparison to renting, a lot of times tenants are paying more in their rent than they would pay in a mortgage payment, quite honestly. Yeah, it, tell me about – again, you, you navigate uh, – Individuals of all different socioeconomic uh, means mm-hmm. uh, through the through the buying process. How hard is it to you know for that typical renter? Um, you know, maybe they're not renters of choice, but they feel like you know this is the only option that they have. How do you open up the the their eyes to you know what you might be able to get an FHA and you know you know hundred percent financing or a PFHA? Talk about some yeah. Of that so stuff. there's oh, VA loans are one of oh the my biggest. I mean, you can get a hundred percent financing uh, as a veteran, and so I think that's something that every veteran should look into. Um, there are FHA programs where uh, not only do you only need three and a half percent down, but you can actually receive up to six percent in some instances of the sale price. 
for what we call seller's assistance. And so that's a way for if a buyer needs to have $15,000 to close, but they can get $6,000 in assistance. Well, now they only need to bring $9,000 to the closing table. And quite honestly, when you look at uh, the price of a mortgage, if they pay five or 10000 more on a mortgage, it only changes their monthly payment, which is most people's focus, you know, by 20, 30 bucks, 50 yeah. bucks, depending on how much they're going to jump in price. And so that's where we oftentimes will tell buyers and sellers, you know, $5,000 to a seller is $5,000. $5,000 to a buyer who's financing that's, say, it's carried over 30 years, you know, that $5,000 might only add up to $35 a month. And gotcha. so especially when it comes to, you know, having the hand money and down money, if I can save $6,000 from pulling it out of savings or retirement and a seller's willing to justify that, you know, to net out the price they want but also provide the seller's assistance, that's what gives not only first-time home buyers but move-up buyers alike with interest rates as low as they are. Yeah. I would rather leverage as much dollar as I can um, because again, where else can you get those low interest rates not for credit cards, not for anything else. Absolutely. So, the the so so there there's definitely lots of doors that are open for either a first time home buyer or a move up buyer uh, that may maybe pe- people can't see right now yeah or th- they need to be more educated about well I think that's part of it right so seek a licensed professional mm-hmm. uh, in the real estate business and and from a buyer's perspective perspective we as agents are often paid through the sellers um, and so a buyer can get you know, consultation with a licensed agent who's going to take care of them and represent them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that agent will be compensated, but not directly through the buyer's sure, dollars. And sure. so it's worth a buyer seeking a licensed professional to help guide them on that path um, and to really show them the options that they have. And then it's obviously good to, to sit down with a bank or a lender to see what your options are in regards to financing, because there's so many programs. I was just in the local credit union. I know they're offering really nice programs for dentists and doctors who have student loans. Um, where they'll waive, I think they even set up to all of their monthly payment to help their debt-to-income ratio and qualification standards. So, um, you know, you have some of these high-income earners that still have a lot of debt. debt. And when you look at some of these students um, who are coming out of school, and obviously doctors and dentists, that's not a choice. You have to have that uh, education foundation, and yet they should also be able to get into a a first home. And so... Mm -hmm. um, And and, and, and not not to... Not to uh, uh, you know bring down the the investors of the of the higher income uh, rental properties, but if you're going to put twelve to fifteen hundred a month towards rent or towards a house, you can get a nice house at fifteen hundred a month. Yeah, you really can. And again, that's where um, I think I believe a lot of tenants either don't understand that in and of itself, or they're not quite certain. That yeah. they're staying long they enough to justify mobile. it, right? They want to be but that's where I wish more landlords would understand the opportunity for tenants. And and this is not just mm-hmm. the eighty thousand dollars homes in the city. Yeah. You know, there's two hundred fifty and three hundred thousand dollars homes in Mill Creek and Harbor Creek and Summit where executives that again aren't sure how long they'll stay, they would pay twenty five hundred to mm-hmm. twenty eight hundred dollars a month in rent, which sounds crazy to local people. But again, that's what the market demands. And when you have the different amenities that can justify that. Uh, a lot of these folks who are renting still want to maintain the same lifestyle they were used to right. when they lived in Connecticut, when they lived in Chicago. And so, you know, they'll pay top dollar for rent, understanding it's a means to an end for them, but they want to maintain that lifestyle. Makes sense. Let's talk about uh, Blight because, uh, again, you own property in the city. Um, probably some of your some of your rentals don't necessarily have good parking, and you know there's a lot of options. And then you have these houses that need to either come down or be rehabilitated. Yeah, and and that's I think the the challenge of it because I might I have an 1884 duplex down on 20th Street, uh, and it's an awesome duplex that served me very well but the house next door has boarded up windows and so when we try to show it to tenants 
I can't control the neighbors. Uh, now I do my due diligence and research and see when I might be able to buy that off the tax rolls. But that's the other challenge for real estate investment in the city of Erie is that I've owned that for 15 years now. Wow. So uh, it's been a good investment property for me. But going forward, I, I sit here and I'm like, well, how much money do I want to put in if it doesn't matter what the inside look like? looks like if I can't get a tenant mm-hmm. through the front door because of as they drive by in the neighborhood or whatever else. And so, Did you hear uh, our conversation with Rick Griffith? He was saying he had a – what was it, Shane? Like 30, 35 properties surrounding Level Place just for this exact issue of having people be able to uh, see his rentals inside Level Place and – and not be wigged out by right. the by the bad stuff around. Well, and I think again, just knocked him down. Yeah, I, but I think you also have uh, what at one time the city of Erie served 140 residents. Yeah, right? 140,000 so people lived there. Yep. So a lot of that blight is due to um, just the overstock that that we don't need. Um, and I think there's part of that. There you have blighted property that would come off the tax roll if they were demoed. Um, but I think what the city really needs to look at, and with a lot of these comprehensive plans, come the zoning. And so I know mm-hmm. they looked at those uh, urban gardens, which was a great idea and, and nice that the community can walk around and, and see the food that they're going to consume. But then you get into things like the heavy storms. We all hear the news about right crowded streets and the plows can't get through. Well, create zoning that offers me as an investor to build a six bay garage on one of you know tear down a bladed property um, and then rent these to either my tenants or residents nearby um, I think there's so many opportunities that we need to be a little more creative and we need sure. to continue to look at other towns that have done it well and done it successfully but a lot of it comes back to you know zoning and the bureaucracy of it um, and so I would love to see you know the city to work to find you know, better solutions and again, ways to incentivize. Uh, I know some re- some investors that have gotten out of the city that if you told them, hey, they can build garages and now they don't have to worry about furnaces and hot water tanks and toilets to flush. They can just build a six car garage, do it on Lerda, you know, collect rent, get cars off the street. Um, and it's a win-win for everybody. And again, you can demand that they build it to a certain extent or a certain uh, facade for the neighborhood. Um, I think we need to just and not take more control because I like the independence of home ownership and, and what you can sure, do. Sure. But I think you can also, again, encourage Erie to look like how you'd like it to look. And yeah, that's Erie, true for the the, Erie does need to right size, doesn't it? I mean, as yeah, far as it's just too much. The, 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 you're saying that we're not seeing the kind of appreciation like we're we're being left behind by most of the rest of the the nation, right? As far as appreciation goes, oh sure, even even most of the state, right? You know, I mean, I mean, do we measure up to Pittsburgh much at all? No, and I think wow. in part though, Pittsburgh's that, always been kind of similar to us in property values. It, it is. I think you know you can talk to people who have been throughout the country and they would pay less in rent than they do here. But cost of living in Erie for the overall um, is much more palatable than it is in Pittsburgh or Harrisburg or State College. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, when you get into the ownership of those assets and, and the investors and landlords that are looking in the city of Erie are pretty savvy. You know, they, they are looking for a return on their dollar um, and they want to provide quality housing. But I think those are the fears that we as investors have is, hey, I've owned a property for 15 years, maintained it, updated Mm -hmm. it, found great tenants for it. And then because the neighborhood has not maintained itself, it it demotivates those landlords who have been good landlords um, to just not pay as much attention and not focus until they get the code enforcement letter that says, hey, your grass is too high or whatever else, because it's vacant. It's sat for Three or four months, and now, do I invest more money? Do I sell it? Um, you know, so there's all these things that uh, go into factors, and and one of the things is again that inventory. There's a lot to choose yeah, from in the city yeah. of Erie, um, and so that makes sellers have to be more competitive, and that usually comes down to their price. Sure. All right, Laban. Uh, again, we've got about four minutes. Let's let's lay it out here. Of uh, as you see it, again, you read the trades. You have your hard work, earned money invested in in these properties, both within the city and in the county. 
where, where do we need to go as a metropolitan, you know, let's take the metropolitan area and then as a city in particular to be a community of choice as far as uh, as far as being owner occupants and real estate investors and so on? Yeah, I think it really comes back to just pride of ownership. Right, and and we see that as landlords, we have had tenants who will plant flowers and maintain the property as if it's their own, which is again what a lease Beautiful. really entitles yeah. them to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but that starts with how they're introduced to the property, right? So, if a landlord hasn't taken care of it and isn't really maintaining it, that's kind of what you breed from the tenant, right? So, I think just that personal accountability of maintaining the homes, whether it's your fresh coat of paint. Um, all these different things uh, can be done. That's just general maintenance, right? That we tend to put off. And you hear um, sometimes, though, you know that you know, that there's a lot of disrespect coming from some landlords, where they, you know, all all my tenants do is destroy my houses and blah 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 blah, and you know, so they do the minimum. And then you have like the fellow who uh, came from Poland, who's like building these mansions in the inner city. I mean. By his own labor, and it's it's gorgeous what he's doing down there. Yeah, you know? I, I think I mean, this you got all all, all types. You and know? in real estate, we've always said, you know, you can really create your own career by fixing up homes, and whether you decide mm-hmm. to rent them out uh, or you know buying them at a good deal and turning them around and reselling them. Flipping. You know, so there's there's a lot of ways to invest in real estate. But I think at the end of the day, and one of the reasons I choose to invest in real estate, and I'm in the industry, is that food, water, and shelter are the necessities to life. And so I think as you can get um, more focused on, again, those things that we need and then recognizing the value that they carry, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, there is nothing like a home, whether you rent or you own. uh, There's something about being able to walk through your front door, the camaraderie of family and and things like that that um, makes real estate uh, just so powerful. And then on the other hand, you know, we support the Erie City Mission. And so mm-hmm. you see on the other end of that where uh, how do we have so much blighted home and blighted property and yet homeless, right? Is there a way right. to take and, and, and fit that together? Um, and obviously that comes with, uh, you know, just a lot of focus and, and the mission does a great job of, of reaching out. But I, it's in the society that we're in in 2019 with so much opportunity and then to see um, so many challenges, you know, it's, yeah. it's not easy for anybody. Uh, but at the same time, I think it's going at it uh, with a positive attitude. And, and I think that's what most of us in Erie, I think, are seeing and feeling is this positive energy finally taking over all the negativity. And that's where I go back to just we need to be more encouraging to Erie and especially uh, Erie residents and Erie investors who are willing to take their dollars and reinvest it in the city. Sounds like changing the narrative is pretty important stuff. It is, and I think a lot of people have, have been really working to do that. So the, the more positive we can stay, um, I think the, the better off we will be in hindsight. Talk about, uh, and again, back, last minute, talk about the young folks uh, you know, we hear the again. We hear the story that hey, they're overloaded with student debt. They're not buying homes. Are they buying homes? Are you are you seeing a little trickle there? They are starting to. I mean, they've taken over the greatest generation as far as population and home sure. buyers. Um, but what we do see is that these millennials are actually savers, right? I, I don't. Mm. I I would gather it's in part because they watched a lot of their parents really suffer uh, through the recession and really struggle. Um, to where I think, like in a lot of situations, it can really change your perspective and say, "Hey, I don't ever want to be in that situation." And one of the best ways to do that is. Uh, spend less than you make, you know, the understanding financial literacy and things like that. But then also with that, understanding where that monthly rent or that mortgage payment goes and is it a wise decision. But, you know, I always say mind your own business because if you don't, who's going to mind it for you? Right. Right. Nobody else is going to care as much as you do about your livelihood and your future. Somebody's got to buy all those mid-century homes, those uh, those little cottages, those what do they call them, Baldwin homes. Oh, they, uh, you they, know, a lot of the bungalows. <laughs> bungalows. You know? That's yeah. the other thing. I would love to find if there's any uh, two bedrooms that have an attic unfinished in the city. Those unfinished. Are the ones you take okay. from a two to a three bedroom, and a lot of times, if you add another bath, it's it's a way to really improve again the desirability for a tenant, but then the uh, the value of the property by adding half baths, full baths different amenities.